My name is Brent Smith. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central, and we just want to welcome you here. And uh, since school has begun and we've rung in the real new year, I just want to welcome any students that are here. We're glad that you've joined us, and uh, we certainly hope that you feel welcome here this morning. So in light of that, I just want to introduce you students to a few people who are key uh, for you this year uh, going forward. And so the first, we'll start with Keith and Tiffany. (laughs) Keith and Tiffany uh, Bowering are heading up our student life group. And so if you're here in Fredericton after moving from far away and you're all alone and you want uh, community, you want to get connected Uh, You want to learn more about the church and about Jesus, uh, the Student Life Group and Keith and Tiffany, uh, that's for you. And so I just want to encourage you to join in with them, uh, talk to them after the service if you haven't already, and uh, Keith and Tiffany are great, we love them, and uh, you just need to meet them and you'll love them too, maybe you even love them now after they just stood up. That's the type of people they are. And uh, heading up our youth group is Joel and Becky Gallant. Becky's outside. And so if you're in middle school or high school, I want to encourage you to come out, not this Saturday, but but next, after Brian Brian Houston. So that Saturday after Brian Houston, September 20th, uh, come out to that. And uh, I could tell you all their experience, but you don't really care about that. I'll just say that if you come Saturday night, you get plugged in with Joel and Becky, you'll find two people that love you, that care about you, that are able to teach you and equip you and help you grow in your walk with God, and uh, you won't regret it. Um, So I just want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you're in grade 12 and you think, you know, I'm almost through, I don't really need to start going now, or maybe you think youth group's not really your thing. Come on out, get plugged in with Joel and Becky. I really wish I hadn't hung out with Joel and Becky, said no one ever. (laughs) So, they're a lot of fun to be with. So come on out. Student Life Group, Keith and Tiffany Bowering, Youth Group, Joel and Becky Gallant. So, in light of all that, we'll get at it. And uh, last week we finished up our series in Psalms. And next week, Joe will begin a new series on the life of Moses, which we're really excited about. Uh, So make sure you're here for that as Joe begins that series next week. So this week, we find ourselves right in the middle. And I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to our students and to share some truths from God's Word uh, directly to the students. And uh, so whether you're beginning grade six or you're doing a master's, uh, hopefully this message is for you. And if you're not a student, don't worry, don't leave or anything, because I'll let you in on a little secret. Although it's a message for students, it's a message from God's Word, and God's Word was written to all of us, not just to students. And so hopefully you'll find uh, some application for you, even if some of the illustrations are more geared towards children or towards students and also we need you to pray so I'll be preaching 
and you'll be praying, and we'll pray that the Holy Spirit uh, wields his word well this morning. So let's pray and ask him to do that, and then we'll read from Romans chapter 12. Father, we just praise you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. We thank you for your presence here with us, and we do pray as we come to your word that you give us eyes to see, hearts to understand, ears to hear what you want to speak to us. We want to be changed. We want to give you glory. We do want your Holy Spirit to wield your word and pierce us this morning, we pray. We pray that for our students. We pray that for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, and we'll just read the first three verses, and we'll look at five truths for students from these verses. So Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So five truths from students for this passage, and I'd say these are five truths that I wish somebody had told me, but the reality is they did, and I didn't really listen very well. <clears throat> My focus through school was not really uh, much on God at all. Unfortunately, it wasn't much on my schoolwork either, which would have been a decent second. Uh, my focus was mainly on friends, on having fun, and on not really having a focus. So I worked hard in my younger years. Uh, I drifted a bit going into high school. Uh, unfortunately, I was smart enough to not work very hard and still get 80s, and that seemed like a fairly good option to me. Uh, I was known for a saying in high school of, this is tricky, I quit, which I don't recommend as a lifestyle to go with. I thought in grade 11 that I might want to be an architect, which was more probably from watching Seinfeld than it was of actually knowing what an architect is. It is the highest of all aspirations, according to George Costanza. But I didn't end up doing that. As you can see, I am not an architect. Uh, But looking back at my schooling, it wasn't really until my last year of NBCC that I started to to seek God, and uh, that God became a priority in my life. So seeing as how many of you still have a lot of years still ahead of you, uh, it's a great privilege to speak to you this morning about these truths from God's Word. So, the first one doesn't come from a particular verse in Romans 12, uh, but from the nature of what we just read. Romans 12. 12, 1 to 3, as a part of the book of Romans, as a part of the New Testament, as a part of the Bible, is God's Word. And as such, the first thing I want to say to you is this, the Bible is still the most important book you will read this year. It doesn't matter if you're reading To Kill a Mockingbird or The Adventures of Huck Finn or anything by Charles Dickens or if you're cracking open advanced techniques of biophysics, it doesn't matter. The Bible is still number one. 
It's not to be set aside upon leaving elementary school. It carries through high school, and it's still there when you enter university or college. Despite the state of our world, the Bible continues every year without fail to be the number one book sold worldwide, and it's not even close. It's number one by a country mile. Second is way, way down. All versions of the Bible sell good every year. But it's not its popularity that makes it so important. It's the fact that the Bible is the only book on earth that does not ultimately have a human author. And sure, there were people in history in a certain point in time who sat down and wrote what we have here. Uh, But the Bible makes the claim that Scripture is breathed by God, that those authors were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. And so that's really what sets the Bible apart from every, everything else. The words here are not just human words. They're words from the living God. Every other book you will read this year is written by an imperfect man or woman. This is the only book authored by perfection. And so we can see how foolish it sounds when we think of it that way to say, I just don't have time to read God's Word. I just don't have time to read God's Word. In these years of preparation and education, the Bible is the best way to get ready for marriage. It's the best way to get ready for parenting, for finances, for work life. Nothing will prepare you like the Bible will. Nothing else will help to establish wisdom, to establish work ethic. No other book will guide you and shape you and prepare you For the day ahead of you, the course ahead of you, the week ahead of you, the semester ahead of you, the life ahead of you, like the Bible will. And so with what excitement we should come to the Word of God, what gratitude we should have that we're able to read the very words of God. What a privilege it is to have this at our fingertips. So if there's one thing I could plead with you, it's read the word. Stop saying that you don't have time. Stop saying that you don't have time to read the word. Don't tell me that. Don't tell Keith and Tiffany that. Don't tell Joel and Becky that. It's embarrassing. You do have time. You just don't have the desire. Let's call it what it is. You do have time. The reality is you have more time to yourself now than you probably ever will have. There may come a day when you have a job and a house to clean and four kids. You have a lot of time right now. The reality is you do have the time. You just don't want to. You know that and I know that. You don't have the desire, but you can have the desire. You don't have the desire but you can have the desire to read the Word of God. And it might be hard to believe that right now because the Bible maybe has become so unattractive to you, but it's true. If you come prayerfully to the Bible, hear from God, study it, memorize it, keep feeding on His Word, that desire will grow. Cafeteria food seems great at the first. Come February... You're not sure if you're eating the pizza or the paper plate underneath. 
God's Word isn't like that. The more you eat, the more you will hunger for it, and your desire for it will grow. It says uh, God's Word is, like Jesus said, He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word of God. It's, it's essential. It's like food, and that is, it, it's essential. But unlike the pepperoni pizza at your cafeteria, it's also something that is attractive and delicious. The psalmist says, your word is like honey on my lips. That can be true for you as well. So wherever you're at in your schooling, the Bible is still the most important book you will read this year. Which leads us right into our second truth, because as we read the word, it changes us. Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Bible is the most important book you will read because it doesn't just inform, it transforms, and transformation is your goal. If you look at verse 2 of Romans 12, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So number two is this. Transformation is your goal, not confirmation and not graduation. Transformation is your goal. As a student, you're bombarded continually with a message over and over and over again, a message of one word, conform. It's in the halls of middle school. It's in the dorms on campus. Conform, conform, conform. Conform to this way to dress. Conform to this way to act. Conform to this set of beliefs. Conform to this understanding of how the universe was created. Conform to these likes and these dislikes. Fall in line. Don't step out. Don't stand up. Conform. Or if you do stand up, make sure it's for a cause that is somewhat trendy and cool and kind of work in your favor in like a rebel activist do-gooder sort of way. Just as a little hint of how to stand up for something. You got to make sure there's probably a celebrity behind it. And please make sure above all else that they make cool shirts before you get too far involved. Okay? Just if you wanted how to make a stand at university... That's how you need to go about it. In almost every area of your life, you're told to conform. It's the expectation that's on you. And many students take it as the goal of their life. How can I fit in? How can I be accepted? But as Christians, the goal of your life is not to be conformed to this world. Your goal is not to fall in line with the way the world thinks. What the world values, the goal is to be transformed. Romans 8 says that it's God's goal for your life to be transformed into the image of Jesus. So what this means is that our goal needs to be what God's goal is for us. So what that means for you as a student, and this can be quite scary, is that... Your Christianity cannot take a back seat to your popularity. That's what do not be conformed but be transformed means. Your Christianity cannot take a back seat to your popularity. It doesn't mean you're obnoxious about your faith or that you have to wear 
His Blood's For You t-shirts? Preferably not, actually. Um, But it does mean that you have to be willing to sacrifice your popularity for your beliefs. You need to be willing to sacrifice your popularity for your beliefs. Because transformation is the goal of your life, both for you to be transformed into the image of Jesus and the world around you to be transformed into his kingdom. That's the highest goal of your life, is to be transformed and to bring transformation around you. And so the implications of this goal in your life are far-reaching. Because if your goal is to be transformed into the image of Christ, then your goal is definitely not confirmation, fitting in, being accepted, but it's also not graduation. How often students operate with graduation as the highest goal in their life. It's their main point for living. I'm going to work hard to get through this, achieve this, have these letters at the end of my name, and everything else falls to the side. For these X amount of years, this is my life. Everything else, including my relationship with God, my involvement with the church, everything else needs to take a back seat. When I get through this, things will be different. But for right now, I'm a student first. And I read an article last week by a guy who does campus ministry, and he says that's whenever he talks to students about their relationship with God, about them seeking God and where they're at with the church, the number one response he gets is, well, that's fine, but I need to remember I'm a student first. And he responded by saying, you are not a student first. You are 10,000 times more a Christian first than you are a student first. Your time in school is minuscule in relation to the time you will spend with Christ. Your life will go on for eternity after you receive your diploma. So yes, take your schooling seriously. I'm not telling you to skip exams to do some church activity, but you're not a student first. Your identity does not come from the three letters on your school sweater. Your identity comes from Christ. Your purpose is not found in a diploma or a degree. Your purpose is found in Christ. In a society where we put a lot of emphasis on schooling and education and degrees, and those are all good things, we need to remember that the goal on this earth isn't just to learn a bunch of stuff, it's to be transformed. We don't want a mind full of facts. We want a mind that's been renewed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We want transformation in our lives so we can become agents of change at our school, on our campus, so we can see transformation in our classmates, see transformation with our teachers and professors, see transformation on school boards and curriculum, and see transformation in the whole of education so that it can give glory to the one who created it. Your goal is not confirmation. It's not graduation. Your goal is transformation. Verse 2 continues. 
It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so my third point would be don't just take tests, be testing. Don't just take tests, be testing. As students, you are encountering new things almost daily, new environments, new circumstances, new theories, new invitations, new temptations, new activities, new friends, things you've never heard of, things you've never experienced before, things that were previously not even available to you. And as, it, as you go forward, it will be a great danger to accept everything and test nothing. As a Christian, you need to be testing the things around you to see where they fall in with the conditions listed. Good, acceptable, and perfect. So don't just spend your time thinking about whatever you're studying so you can pass the test. Think about what you are doing. Study what's going on around you, what you are involved in. Thinking about what you're getting, going to get involved in, what you're being taught. And see if it passes the test. Acts 17 tells us of a group of people called the Bereans. That when they heard anything that Paul preached. They went back to the word to see if it was true. You need to do that here with Joe and I. And the others who speak. You need to do that in your classroom. You need to bring things back to the ruler of the word of God. And see how it measures up. Because ultimately what your professor or what your teacher says has to measure up to the Word of God and not the other way around. This is the ultimate standard of truth. We need to be testing. The word test here means see what the worth of something is. And so one of the best questions you can ask yourself is, what is the worth of this? Asking the question will help you see past the thing itself to see the result of what comes after. It enables you to see past the boredom of studying for a night to see the good mark at the end. It, sees you, it allows you to see past the sweetness of the temptation to see the bitter aftertaste at the end. What is the worth of this? What is its value? Does it line up with God's Word? Am I conforming to the world here? What's my motive? What will be the result? Is this good, acceptable, and perfect? Be testing. Don't just study books. Study your life. Ask questions. Why am I dating this person? Is it to find a spouse or can I just not stand to be by myself? Why am I hanging out with these people? Am I a light shining in a dark place or am I a companion of fools becoming more foolish each day? Those are the questions you need to ask. Let me tell you what I've seen in my own life as a student and what I've seen in other students' lives as I talk to them in this whole area of testing things to see what their worth is and whether you're going to be involved in them or not. Oftentimes, students do test the things around them, but your motive is not to glorify God. Your motive is to only finish the assignment, write the paper, complete the exam. And so you say, no, I can't do that. I need to focus. I shouldn't get involved in that right now. 
it's not worth my time. I need to write this paper. And so the purpose behind your testing is not what will glorify God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Your motive is, well, what's going to hinder me from completing this assignment? And so what happens when the assignment is completed? The testing ends. The things you saw as distractions to complete the task are now fair game because the goal has been achieved. The paper's been written, the exam's completed. The purpose wasn't what will glorify God, it was just what will keep me from finishing this task. So, you don't watch Game of Thrones when you're trying to write your paper, but once the paper's done, well then it's fair game. Because the purpose behind it wasn't what will glorify God. It was just what will keep me from writing this paper. I saw it in my own life as a student. I see it in many students' lives. That's why you're more likely to get into sin on the weekend and on March break and on Christmas break and on summer break when the big exam is done. Because your goal was never what will glorify God. It was just what will keep me from writing this paper and finishing my assignment. I've been studying and studying and thinking and thinking and testing and testing. And now I'm done. I just want to veg. I just want to turn my brain off. I've been thinking so much. I'm done thinking. I want to be doing I don't want to think about the consequences. I don't want to think about the end result. I just want to do. Unfortunately, the devil doesn't take March break. He does work the weekends. And he doesn't stack his courses to Monday, Wednesday, Friday so he can sleep in Tuesday, Thursday. He's always prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And it's why the Bible tells us to always be alert. So you can relax There is rest for a Christian, but there's no such thing as turning your brain off and being done thinking. We always need to be testing, not for the purpose of what will keep me from finishing my assignment. It's too small and it's too temporary. The purpose needs to be, will God be glorified in my life through this? In school, you will be put to the test and you will be given a mark that reflects the quality of of your work, and all I'm saying is you shouldn't be the only one that is tested. Test everything around you in the same way and see what its quality is. Your friends, your relationships, what you hear, what you see, what you do, put it all to the test. Verse 2 continues. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The next point is this. God's will is more about your character than your career. God's will is more about your character and your, than your career. And so the question probably Most often asked by a student who's following God is, I just want to know God's will for my life. But the conversation that follows is usually around, 
what school do I go to, what courses do I take, what city do I live in, what career will I have for the rest of my life. And so, yes, they do desire to know God's will and His leading in their lives, which is good. We should pray for His direction. We should pray for His leading. We should ask God for wisdom. But when you look at the Bible, you'll see that the will of God is much more about what's going on inside of you than it is in the outside matters. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your, sa- your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2.13-15 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be emperors or governors, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And Ephesians 5.17 says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So some of you may be asking God to show you His will as far as schooling and work and so on, and that's fine. But don't do so at the expense of ignoring, ignoring what His will is for you inside, in your heart. Don't do so at the expense of ignoring His will that he's already told you that he wants in his word. Some of you might be saying, what school, Lord? What career? God, where am I going to go here? What am I going to do? And God's responding with, why are you so concerned with the outward matters and giving so little thought about what's going on inside you? Why are you so concerned? Why are you more concerned with your career and your school than you are about the lack of joy in your life, the grumbling that you live in, the lack of prayer that you enjoy, the sexual immorality you're involved in, your tendency to be filled more with alcohol than with the Holy Spirit, you're bucking against authority, you're not doing good to those around you. You want to be filled, you want to find my will with the outward matters, but they flow out of, that obedience flows out of what's going on inside. So why, we need to ask the question, why are you asking God for His will? Why are you desiring God to lead you in that direction as far as what a school, what school to go to or what career to go to? Is it because you want God to use you for His purposes there? Or do you just want God, do you just want to use God to kind of fulfill the American dream? You just want to say, God, just point me in the direction I need to go, in the career that will make me comfortable, in the school that's best for me, and kind of use God for you to be and live a comfortable life? Or do you want God's will in your life because you want to be used by God wherever you are? to advance His kingdom for His glory. Because if that's the desire of your heart, if you want God's will for your career or your school because you want God to use you, then what matters more? The location and the type of work that you're doing? Or what's going on inside you? The inward matters of God's will 
being fulfilled in your heart. If you're a joyful, prayerful, thankful Christian who courageously flees sexual immorality, beautifully submits under authority, does good to those around you, doesn't live foolishly, but walks in the Spirit, seeking to be filled with the Spirit, it doesn't matter if you go to UMB or Stanford or Community College. It doesn't matter if you're an electrician or a politician because your goal is not the American dream of a nice house and a comfortable life. Your goal is to see God glorified and see the advancement of the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. You can seek God's will and His direction for your life, but don't get it flip-flopped. Seek first the will of God for your character, for your heart, for who you are. What you do and where you live are secondary. Don't fall into the trap of looking and being more concerned with what's going on outside because God is more concerned with what's going on in here. The last point. The Bible is still the most important book you will read. Your goal is not confirmation or even graduation, but transformation. Don't just take tests. Be testing. God's will is more about your character than your career. And lastly, comparison kills. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And certainly we are all born with pride in our hearts, but in the atmosphere of the classroom with marks and awards and dean's lists and honors lists and gold stickers and grades, comparison and the pride that comes from it is just a breeding ground for that. Comparison becomes the name of the game and the constant battle for the top The competition with the classmate over Mark paves the way for us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. It's all right to study hard and and get good grades. Those are all good things. It's when you want people to know about it that it becomes a problem. Pride is a dangerous thing, and James says, James chapter 4, that God opposes the proud. So when you feel that tendency of falling into that comparison game and that pride rising up, it's a scary thing to think that you're putting yourself in opposition to God. Romans 12 goes on to show us that a a life that is exactly opposite of a life of comparison and pride we see in the classroom. If you look down at verse 9, It says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Our competition shouldn't be on marks. There should be a competition. It should be on outdoing one another and celebrating each other's successes. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice In hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep 
with those who weep. Don't be consumed with jealousy. Rejoice with your classmate who got a better mark than you. Weep with your friend genuinely who failed miserably. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't let your comparison and your pride keep you from helping those under you. Don't let it keep you from associating with those below you, those younger than you. Don't let it keep you from helping your enemy in the class. Never let it cause you to seek revenge. The comparison that's so easy to fall into kills. It kills relationships. It kills the joy in your life. It kills peace as you're constantly worrying about your mark in relation to someone else's. But most importantly, it kills the message of the gospel that you are there to represent. Because with the gospel, it levels the playing field. Romans 3 says, there's no distinction. All have fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what your grades are, how many extracurricular activities you do, how much money you fundraise, how many friends you have, whether you're student body president or not, it's not enough. Every student still needs the gospel. There's no extra credit to boost your score. There's no grading on the curve. Forget it. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You might have A pluses across the board, but next to the glory of God, you've fallen short. And you cannot boast because you have nothing to boast in. In spite of that, though, God loves you. He promises to be with you and help you, not because of the quality of your school performance, but because he sent his son to die for you. And now you can boast, not in good works, but in Jesus you can boast. Any good work you do is God working through you for his glory. So ultimately you're able to not think of yourself more highly than you should when you stop comparing yourself to your classmate and start comparing yourself to the glory of of God. You stop comparing your righteousness to the righteousness of the guy next to you, and you start comparing your righteousness to the righteousness of Christ. And you can start rejoicing now with someone who scores better than you. You can show them honor because your identity isn't wrapped up in your GPA. Your identity is wrapped up in Christ. You can bless and pray and do good to your enemies because you realize that you yourselves were once enemies of God. But because of Jesus, he's brought you in. You're not enemies any longer. You were enemies, but he showed you good by his grace over and over and over again in a weight 
and in a way that you will never understand with the love of God being poured on your life and he's now brought you in. You're not an enemy and it had nothing to do with your good works. You were an enemy and he just poured his grace on you and he brought you in and now you can do the same to an enemy that is in your class. So don't let prideful comparison kill the gospel that wants to be represented in your class through your life. Angela and the team uh, can make their way back up. And I just want to finish with one thing. All the things we've talked about this morning, they all find their base in the gospel. They all flow out of the fact that if you're a Christian this morning, you are a sinner saved by grace, saved by the grace of God on your life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But all the things we talked about this morning are practical things. They aren't just things you give acknowledgement to in your head. They're things that you do, things that you put into practice because the gospel isn't just a set of beliefs that you give a nod to here on Sunday morning. The gospel affects every area of your life, including your schooling. And so as a student who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ, your outlook should be different than the guy sitting next to you. Your outlook and your attitude towards your time in school must be different from the student beside you in class. Just like we've seen, it should affect the way you read. It should affect the goals that you have. It should affect the attitudes that you have towards the other people in your class. It should affect how you weigh and you test everything around you. It should affect your pursuits and your dreams for your life. It's not just a set of beliefs that you give a nod to on Sunday morning, you sing the nice songs, and then you go back to your campus, you go back to your school, and it's left here. The gospel affects everything. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you act. It affects the way you study. It affects the way you learn. It affects everything. In summarizing these three verses in Romans 12, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, and it summarizes everything that I've said this morning as well. He says, If your becoming a Christian has not raised problems in your life which the non-Christian does not know about, then you can take it from me that you are not a Christian. Christians are not merely men and women who attend a place of worship on Sundays, go through a certain form of worship and then go back in the world and live as they did before or as other people live. That is not the Christian. There is something wrong with people in that position. Christians, by definition, are men and women who are born again, who are regenerate, who have undergone the profoundest change people can ever undergo, and they now have a new outlook upon everything which is affected by this belief. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not just something you have up here. It's a changed and transformed life. And that's my heart for you students. That's my heart for everyone is that we would have 
a new outlook, that Christianity and the gospel and the fact that Jesus died for me in my place, though I did not deserve it, is not something I just hold up here. It's something that affects every area of my life. It affects how I come to work. It affects how I relate to Fred, my neighbor. It affects how I parent my kids. It affects every area of my life. The purpose of the gospel is not just to give head knowledge, it's to have transformed people bringing in a transformation of the kingdom of God. It's God's will for you on campus for that to happen. It's God's desire for you to see that in high school, in middle school. And I just want to pray for you students that God would do that for you guys. So let's stand. Father, I thank you for the beauty and the impact of the gospel, how you, even though we did not deserve it, you sent your son to die in our place, to forgive us of our sins, to take on your wrath, to adopt us as children, to make us righteous and holy before you. And we give you all the praise and the glory for that. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. We thank you for the peace and the joy that we have in you. And Father, I pray for our students that your Holy Spirit would move, that you would impact them with the beauty of your gospel, and that it would affect every area of their life. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would ignite them, would empower them, would change them to bring transformation, to be changed, and to see our schools changed, to see our schools come alive with your presence, giving you the glory that you deserve. If anyone is here that does not know you, that hasn't experienced your great love, that hasn't experienced the beauty of the gospel in their life, we pray, Father, that your spirit would move now. Let them see their great need for you and see you with your open arms, as Tressa said, with your open arms welcoming all. We are so thankful that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We pray, Father, it's true for our students. We pray for it's true for the students on our campus that the gospel will go forth, that lives will be changed for their good and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.